Well, hey, Cornerstone, uh, this is Pastor John Kelly here from Chicago West Bible Church uh, in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, so good to be with you today. And I'm really excited to jump into God's word uh, with you as you guys are continuing your series on just really examining and studying um, what does it mean to love um, biblically and to love as God would have us. And uh, we all know when we look at our world right now, our world needs um, a lot of love. It's a lot of hate going around. Um, and so what an amazing, an amazing topic. Um, to study. Um, it's interesting as I was preparing for this uh, message, um, there was an article that I came across. It was published in April of 2022 um, by a website called Very Well Mind. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Very, Very Well Mind, um, but it's an award-winning website on uh, mental health topics. And uh, there was an article on that website called um, Ruben's Scale of Liking and Loving. Ruben's scale of liking and loving. And the article was seeking to discern uh, between uh, liking something and loving something. And I felt like, man, that was a really good, much needed topic and article to read because it, it points out the reality that so often we use the word love so casually. And when we say love, uh, we really mean like, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I really love using paper plates when I eat at home. Um, you know, it's just easy for me. It saves on a dishwasher, um, easy to clean up. You can just throw whatever in the trash. Uh, my wife, uh, whenever uh, people come to her house, she'll bust out the nice plates. And I'm always like, no, nah, no, nah, we good. We can just use paper plates. And she's like, John, no, we're not going to do that. And But I love using paper plates. It's just easy to eat and get rid of whatever. And I love thick paper towels, right? Because you don't have to use a lot. If you need, if you spill something, you could just wipe that real quick. And so, man, if you ask me, I love using paper plates and nice paper towels rather than regular plates that you have to push, put in the dishwasher or wash by hand. But here's the thing. Uh, when I say I love paper plates, it's not the same thing as when I say, man, I love my mother or I love my kids or I love my wife. Um, I'm willing to die for my wife. I am not willing to die over any paper plates. Um, so, we, so when I say, man, I love paper plates, what I'm really saying is, man, I like paper plates. And so, man, what does it mean then to really love? Since we can just say, man, I love this, I love that, I love this restaurant, I love these burgers, um, I love this food, I love this show, I love this podcast. What does it mean to love biblically as God would have us? And what we find out today and the truth we'll find today is that if it doesn't align with truth, if love doesn't align with truth, then it's not biblical love. It's not God's love. That whenever we talk about the love of God and whenever we talk about love as presented in Scripture, there's always a groundedness, a rootedness in truth. And so the title of today's message is this truth, an essential element of love, truth an essential element of love. And my prayer is that we would unpack together in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verse 6, just what it means to really be rooted in truth and be rooted in love and that they coexist together for the glory of God. And so I just want to pray for you right now that God would really bless this time and really take the time jumping into his word. If you could just bow your head right where you are. Lord, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters I'm joining in right now. And we thank you that you are a God of love. You are full of love. You are the very essence of love. Um, scripture says God is love. Um, but also, Lord, um, you are a God of truth. And they coexist. They work together. That love and truth go hand in hand. And so would you open our eyes to learn from you of what it means to love biblically, to love as you would have us to love, but also to better understand and know your love. 
So I pray this time would be filled with your spirit, your presence, and that it would bless um, those who are listening. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, beloved, we are in first uh, Corinthians chapter three and we'll be looking at one verse and that is chapter six. First Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse six. And um, there's one simple verse here, but just some nuggets of wisdom that we can learn from this. And uh, here's the first thing that uh, we find here when you've taken notes right now that we can learn about love from verse six. It's this truth. Uh, we love whatever we naturally celebrate. When we're talking about the topic of love, here's the truth. We love whatever we naturally celebrate. Where do we get that from? Well, in uh, verse six of chapter 13, and I'm reading from the ESV translation, it says this about love. It does not rejoice. This is love. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing or evil. Some translation says, but rejoices with the truth. Now, this verse here in verse six gives us a helpful insight into diagnosing the state of our heart. Notice that there's a contrast here. It says um, love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing or evil, but it rejoices in the truth. So you have wrongdoing on one side, evil on one side and truth. And the one word that links them together is the word rejoice. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing or evil but rejoices in the truth. And the word rejoice kind of shows us, it describes to us how love expresses itself, whether in things that are good or bad. That Greek word there uh, for rejoice means to be glad, to feel happiness or joy. So I'm, I'm happy about this evil or wrongdoing, or I'm happy about this truth. Um, one of the principles that we learn from uh, verse six is this. Here's the thought. If you want to identify what you love, or what you love most, you only need to look at what you naturally choose to rejoice in. Let me say that again. If you want to identify what you love, you only need to look at whatever you naturally choose to rejoice in. Let me give you an example. Um, when I was a kid, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's just true, I'll be transparent. When I was a kid, Man, I would just often find it so funny when people slipped or fell or hurt themselves. Like if I was in school and like a teacher fell down the steps or one of the kids slipped on the, the ice or the snow out front, man, I literally would start laughing and could not stop laughing. Even though that person is like on the ground crying because they slipped in the snow or was running and, and fell. When I was a kid, I just had this bad habit that, man, I would laugh in that moment. And I would boastfully tell other people about it, be like, man, so-and-so fell in the schoolyard today, or man, or, you know, the teacher was walking down the steps, and man, she fell down the steps, and man, it was hilarious. Um, I never considered the fact that what I was choosing to rejoice in, what I was choosing to celebrate and laugh at, was actually displaying the current state of my heart, whether good or bad. Um, I don't think any of us would find it good to laugh at someone who slipped and fell and really hurt themselves, even if the fall looked funny to us. Let me ask you a question today. Are you rejoicing in the right things? Have you considered how the things that you choose to rejoice in, the things that you choose to celebrate actually expose the current state of your heart? This section not only focuses on defining and displaying what love is, but also um, the importance of discerning our hearts in the process. Love uh, doesn't rejoice, biblical love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing or evil, but it rejoices in the truth. That word rejoice exposes are my 
more inclined towards evil, loving evil, or am I more inclined to loving what's true and good? You know, every year around December or January, I get a physical. I go to our family doctor and I get a checkup. And I normally get a physical and checkup, but I never leave without getting a blood work done. They, they, you know, stick me with the needles, draw some blood and send it out to lab. And that blood work reveals, hey, here's the state of your liver. Uh, here's your cholesterol level. Um, here's your vitamin level. I remember a couple years back I was told, hey, you got, you know, you're kind of low in vitamin D. When you go to the grocery store, you might want to take some supplements so you can offset that. Right. So we get checkups and we get, um, you know, we, we get doctors to, to examine us or blood work done so we can we can find what's the, the, the status of my health. Um, how much more is it important to know the current state of our soul and heart? Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist cries out, God, search me. See if there's anything that's wrong, that's off and lead me in the way that's everlasting. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And so we find here the first point, the first observation is we love whatever we naturally celebrate. Excuse me. But here's the second thing that we find in this text, and it's very clear. Love does not rejoice in evil. You see it there in the beginning part of verse six. It says, love, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It does not rejoice in evil. So Paul identifies um, first two categories, right? Wrongdoing, evil, and then truth. And then he focuses on the first category and he, he wants us to understand what biblical love is. And he says, hey, if it's wrongdoing, if it's evil, if it's uh, if there's injustice that is celebrated or rejoiced in, it isn't biblical love. It might be the world's love, but love as God would have it does not celebrate evil. So the question I have for you today is how do we even know what is evil? How do we even know what is wrong? Well, I would submit to you. Beloved, the word of God, the word is truth. And God's word points out to us what is evil and what is good. Ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve, our former first parents, uh, sinned in the, in the garden uh, and sin came into this world, sin essentially stained virtually everything in creation. And so it's common in every single generation in human existence that there is confusion between what is evil and what is good. Even in the days of Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah, chapter five, verse 20, it says this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, even thousands of years ago in the days of Isaiah, the prophet, he says that there were things and uh, things going on in the culture and society around him that people thought were good. I mean, things that were evil. It was like, man, that's evil. And people was like, no, that's great. Um, they rejoiced in and celebrated it as good, as right, as normal. And the things that God would see as good and right and normal, they rejected as evil. Even in Paul's day, he had to deal with the things that were going on in culture that that people would just embrace and celebrate. And he's like, no, that is that is not good. That is evil. That is wrongdoing. And so the, the need to be able to discern what's evil, what's good, what's right, what's wrong, what's where is righteousness and justice and where is unrighteousness and injustice. And in, in our day, it's the same thing. We live in a time in which the thought is 
If you don't agree with me, if you don't support my actions, then you don't love me. We've basically in our day, the world has narrowed down love to mean you support everything I say and do. And if you don't support everything I say and do, you don't affirm everything I say and do, you don't love me. You know, I have a lot of people in my family, my family and friends that I talk to regularly, regularly who are sinking in an ocean of alcoholism and drug addiction, just like I used to. I am celebrating by God, the grace of God about 20 years of sobriety. And I take sobriety very serious. At Chicago West Bible Church, we take sobriety very serious. But I got a lot of loved ones and friends who still struggle, struggle with drinking and smoking and, and they can't stop getting high and they can't put the bottle down and they take shots in the bathroom while they're at work and they have a bottle stashed in the house when they come home. And man, I love them deeply, but I don't support what they do or the damaging decisions that they make because of it. But no one would question my love because of that. No one would say, well, Pastor John, you, you don't love uh, Bill over here because you don't support his alcoholism. No, I love Bill, but I'm not going to celebrate him passing out in a way that he responds to his kids and how his drinking problem causes him to yell at his wife and kids. But today in our culture, agreement and affirmation is the litmus test for love. If you don't vote for this person, you can't love anyone. You can't say you're loving if you don't vote for this party, if you don't support this issue, if you don't stand for this person, if you don't cheer on what this person is doing, then you don't love. It's not true, beloved. John chapter three, verse 19 um, says this. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That the light of Christ has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light of Christ because their works were evil. Let me ask you a question today. Do you love darkness? Maybe that should be a prayer for you. Lord, do I love darkness? Let me ask you this. What shows do you love to be entertained by? What songs do you love to sing? My wife and I, um, we do road trips a lot with our kids in the summer when they're out of school. And uh, last summer we were, we were driving um, to another state. We were going to Indianapolis. And so we threw on some 90s R&B. And we're just like singing R&B and we're like singing. And like, like halfway into the, one of the songs, we're like, what are we saying? Man, she's talking about like having an affair with this guy and like loving it and telling him to keep it a secret. I'm like, dang, we used to sing this song back in the day. <laughs> you know, it's like I didn't realize that like some of the songs we used to sing. It was like, oh, that's not good. You know, like, man, what he's talking about in the song, what they're talking about in the song is actually not really good. I had to turn that off, right? <laughs> you know, put on some worship music or some jazz music or something. Um, but we don't realize that like some even some of the songs we grew up singing, you listen to the lyrics and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I would agree with that today. What songs do you love to sing? What kind of stand-up comedy do you like to watch and rejoice in when you're alone? Nobody knows that you're watching that on YouTube and you love a good laugh. What podcasts or shows do you like to entertain yourself with? Who do you follow on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook, Twitter, some social media platform? Whose stories do you like to watch? Rejoicing in evil isn't just about what we expose ourselves to, like what we watch and listen to, but also our eagerness to rejoice in the downfall of others. Do you love when other people fall that you hate? 
when you see them struggling and you can't stand them? Oh, love doesn't rejoice in evil, loved one. It rejoices in the truth. Do you love it when others suffer? Those that you can't stand? Proverbs 24, 17 to 18 says this. Listen to this. The Lord says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. God says, you want to you want me to turn away my anger quickly? Laugh and make fun of when one of your enemies fall as if you weren't an enemy of the cross at one point. God doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. He desires that they would repent, turn to him. In fact, Ezekiel 33, 11 says this. This is, a, this is the Lord speaking. Listen to this. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, this is the Lord speaking. As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? You see God's heart here? Man, turn back, repent. I take no pleasure in this sister or this brother dying in their sin. I take no pleasure in someone spending eternity separated from me. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't desire justice whenever we have experienced injustice. No, we stand for justice. We stand for righteousness. And we point out whenever we see injustice and we point out when we see righteousness compromise. But what, what we're learning here is that biblical love always has a redemptive component to it. It hopes, it bears, it believes all things. And so we love whatever we naturally celebrate. And the love of God does not rejoice in evil. But here's the last thing to jot down, the last observation. Love, the love of God rejoices in the truth. Let me say that again. The love of God rejoices in the truth, my brother and my sister. Look again in verse six. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Now, this is a very interesting contrast here because the opposite of wrongdoing is doing right. The opposite of doing evil is doing good. And so why does Paul say truth? That's that's kind of weird. You would think he would say love doesn't rejoice in lying, but telling the truth. That would make more sense. But he says wrongdoing or evil. Why does he choose that word? Why does he choose the word truth as a contrast? And the reason why is this. Truth is more than a concept. It's not an idea. Truth is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. You could put it this way. Love does not rejoice in evil. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices in Jesus. Truth isn't simply a concept. It's not an idea. Truth is a person. In fact, Jesus says in John 14, chapter, uh, verse 6, he says this. It says this. And Jesus said to them, I am the way. I am the truth. See it there? I am the truth and the life. No one come to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I tell you the truth. I'm going to lead you to the truth. He says, I am the very essence of truth. Truth is not simply an idea or a concept. Truth is a person. Jesus is the very essence of all that is holy and pure and righteous and good. He is the very essence of goodness. And so God doesn't just show love. First John tells us that he is love. He's the very essence of love. 
And so our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is the very essence. God is the very essence of truth. Listen to what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit in John 15, verse 26. Listen to Jesus speaking. He says this, when the helper comes, that is the Holy Spirit, when the helpers come, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, listen, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. Notice when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, he refers to the third person of the Trinity as the spirit of truth. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, and when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so the Holy Spirit, God, the spirit, he is known as the spirit of truth. And he promises to lead his people into all truth. Jesus, when praying the high priestly prayer in John 17, 17, he says this in his prayer. This is Jesus praying for you, praying for me, my sister. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. So who determines what is true? God does. And so to align with Christ is to align with truth and freedom. To walk in the truth of Christ is to walk in freedom. To rejoice in truth is to rejoice in the freedom of Christ. But to rejoice in wrongdoing, to rejoice in sin, to rejoice in evil is essentially to rejoice in bondage. And going back before the cross, going back into bondage, Christ has redeemed us from these things. John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And listen to this. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free from bondage, free from sin. That if you know the love of God and the truth of God, Jesus says, if you are my disciples and you stay connected to me, you stay abiding in my word, you are abiding in me. You will know the truth because I am the truth and the truth will set you free referring to himself. I am the truth and I will set you free. Scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I have a question for you. Think about this. We're talking about truth. Scripture refers to Satan as a liar. Jesus called him a liar and the father of lies. So the opposite of truth is a lie. What lies have you been believing today? What lies have been keeping you in bondage? God doesn't love me. Yeah, he could love everybody else. He could never love me. Here I am sinning again, man. Pastor John, you, you pointed who I am. You pointed me out. I do have a drinking problem. Nobody knows. And I serve in the church. How can God love me, man? How can he forgive me? I'm such a hypocrite. Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, so far the Lord has removed our sins and our transgressions from us. You don't have to believe the lie of the enemy and sit in shame. Who the son has set free is free indeed. You may still struggle, my brother. You may still struggle, my sister, but you have been set free in Christ. You have been washed with the blood of the lamb. And if you fix your eyes on Christ and you repent afresh today, Lord, I've sinned again. I don't need to be saved again, but God, I need you to restore the joy of my salvation again. God, would you cleanse me? 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Not trials, not tribulations, not your struggle with drinking or smoking, not your anger problem, not who you've slept around with lately, not the lies you've told, or how much you haven't been in the word this week. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. That is in scripture. That is in the book of Romans. That is true, beloved. Walk in truth today. And so when you celebrate evil, you celebrate bondage. But where the spirit of the Lord is and where there's truth and where Christ is, there is freedom. And so what we find here is that you cannot love God. You cannot profess to love God and not love truth. And truth is found in Jesus and his word. And truth is an essential element of love. And so scripture says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing or evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So if you will stand for truth in a culture that rejects Jesus and his word and is confused between what is evil and what is good, it means, my sister, it means, my brother, that you're going to experience persecution. When you go to work, when you stand um, for Christ, the culture is going to push back on you and you're going to be tempted to play it safe. Well, I'm not going to speak the truth in love. I'm not going to stand up for that injustice. I'm not going to point that out because I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to offend anyone. That's not loving. Scripture says love doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It's not loving to not point out someone's struggle. As I gave the example of friends or family who struggle with an addiction, it's not loving for me to not point that out. The most loving thing for me to do is say, brother, I know you're struggling and I've struggled just as much as you and I'm fighting the same sin myself. Hey, Christ has so much more for you. How about we get you into some AA meetings, some NA meetings, man. If you need me to watch the kids, you know, we can watch the kids on Wednesday nights while you go to meetings, man. Whatever you need to do, I'll drive you there. Right. Love doesn't just point out sin and beat people upside the head with their sin, but it points them back to Jesus. It offers a solution and a willingness to walk in that with people. So don't don't cave. You're going to be tempted to avoid. If you do that, it's leaving people to rejoice in bondage. And my prayer is that you will stand firm. You will be steadfast. You will be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, showing the love of God to your neighbor. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your word and your word is true. And I just pray for my sisters, my brothers, anyone listening, that we would know the love of Christ. That is able to reach down deep into the pit of our sin and our souls and to cleanse us and to make us whole if we will repent and turn to you by faith, Lord. I'm so thankful that your word said that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ, not an addiction, not our health issue, not our depression, not our anxiety, not who's in office, not how our boss has been treating us. There's nothing that can separate us from your love, not even our own sinful weaknesses. So, Lord, would you help us to stand firm in the faith? Would you help my brothers and sisters at Cornerstone to live boldly for Christ in a generation that desperately needs you? 
And may we recognize that we don't have to compromise truth in order to love. We don't have to compromise love in order to stand with truth, that love and truth go hand in hand, that if it isn't rooted in truth, it isn't biblical love. So God, I pray that everyone listening would sense your love for them and that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, it was so good to share God's word with you. I pray that you were encouraged. Go in peace, loved one. Be blessed.
Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father but through Him. That's an invitation, you know, to experience who He is. And my prayer for all of us is that our hearts would be wide open to the one who loves us so much. He wants to show us the way. Let that truth settle into who we are and guide us into life. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would walk and experience the abundant life of Jesus. May he keep you, loved one, in every way, in your spirit, in your body, in your soul, and in your mind. That's my prayer, in Jesus' name.